Well, good morning. I am Joe Collins, and I want to welcome you guys to See Me Church this morning. Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to speak to the church. Uh, it seems like we had a whole kind of month off of me. We've had several guest speakers. I know that feels great. I like the month off myself, so I'm not complaining either. But uh, we've had a few guest speakers come in, and that's always been really great and it's a blessing to me to be able to hear from other ministers and and other people and then we had a, a really a great Easter service that I just want to thank everyone that participated in that really nice to just spend time and, and focus on the resurrection and and the meaning of Easter and so here we are this morning continuing our hashtag Jesus worth following series and this is a series that i have invested myself in 110 percent we are going i am just committed to follow jesus where he went physically where he went through his life through the pages of the gospel of mark that's the idea of the series to just go where he went and then learn whatever it was that we need to learn from that place, that time and that place that Jesus was. Now, I'll do my best to try to give you more information as we go, give you some background information, some context, so that we can, best as possible, take what we read, understand it, experience it, feel it in whatever way we can, imagine it, and then we can apply it to our lives today. I want to thank John, Jack, Phil for leading the songs. But for those two brothers for leading us in our worship, it's one of the values that we have in Simi Church is we want to spend time worshiping God. Church can sometimes get a little uh, formulaic where we just sort of go through the motions. And some churches are really good at creating a reverence and an awe, and, and, and other churches are really good at creating an energy and inspiration, and we want to try to find the balance of all that. And, and so it's very important to us in Simi Church that we spend the first part of our time worshiping God. I don't think we could do anything else until we spend time properly in the worship of God. And that's a bit of a mind change for some of us because we've been sort of in a formula for many, many years in our family of churches, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you haven't noticed, we've been trying to tweak that formula here in Simi Church because we want to bring in this element of worship, of reverence, of deep personal connection, and then we're ready to commune and, and remember Christ on the cross and take the bread and the cup. And so again, John, Jack, Phil, thank you so much, and the singers, for leading us and getting us our minds in the right place for worship. We do that, take a brief fellowship break, and now we're ready to hear a message from God's Word. And hopefully you will be inspired by the message today. Uh, I do have a story. There was a, a, a young couple, they are a minister couple, and they're in a, you know, uh, any town USA, small town, and one day they get a knock on their door, the minister and his wife, and the minister goes to the door and there's this big, husky, burly guy standing at the door. And he says, uh, Mr. Uh, Pastor so-and-so, or, or Minister so-and-so, yes, he says, I... I'd like to speak to you and your wife, please, because I understand you guys are known for being very charitable and very caring and very giving to people in need. So the, the minister says, well, sure, and he, he calls his wife to the door. And she stands there, and there's this, this large, muscular man, and, and they can see on his face that he's, he's, in, he's in stress, he's in distress. And he says, uh, pastor and, and wife, 
I want you to know about a very terrible situation of a, of a young family uh, in, in this area. And I, I really want to know if you can, you can minister to them. I hear you guys are incredibly generous and benevolent. And tears are beginning to well up in his eyes. And he says, there's this young family. The father just recently passed away. The mother is so distraught and so depressed she can't work. They have nine children. There's no food. And they are about to be evicted and sent out onto the streets in the cold. Can you please help them? And the, the pastor and his wife are, are you know, in awe of this, this man and the emotion in his face. And with tears in their eyes, they said, well, we, we want to help. Absolutely. What Tell us, what do they need? Well, the, the rent is about $400 a month. That's what they need. And they said, oh, I think we can do that. We can talk to the church. Absolutely want to be there. Now, now by the way, uh, sir, thank you for coming to us. But how, how do you know this couple? I mean, how did you hear about this situation? He said, ma'am, I'm their landlord. <laughs> Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, if you, if you don't remember, we've been studying Mark now for several weeks throughout the, since the first of the year, every time I preach, because we're just following Jesus through the pages of Mark. And where we are in this situation is up there. If you look on the screen, I have the scripture and, and a map. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can use that or your phone, feel free. But on this map, it's a very simple map of Palestine in the time of Christ. And up at the top in the region called Galilee, there's a town called Capernaum right there next to the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus is in this story. This is where this takes place. And when it says he went out to walk beside the lake, the lake he's referring to is called the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it was called the Lake of Gesenaret or the Sea of Tiberias. It had different names. But that's the location we are in this story. Now, how did we get here? Because I think it would be good to recap what we know so far, what we've learned so far, especially if you're visiting with us. I want you to be caught up. So I'm going to try to do this really, really fast. But basically, Mark begins his gospel, his story of the life of Christ, with Jesus leaving his hometown of Nazareth. He's about 30 years old, and he travels all the way down to, the, to this area down at the bottom of the map called the Dead Sea. And right there, where the River Jordan and the Dead Sea meet, in between the, the province of Judea and the province of Perea, Jesus went there. And he went there because there was a man named John the Baptist, a very important, influential man in Israel. He was a, the leader of a revival movement that was going on at the time. People loved John the Baptist. As we said before, he was the E.F. Hutton, if you remember that. He is the E.F. Hutton of Israel at the time. Well, Jesus went there to be baptized by him. After he was baptized, he spent several months hanging out down there with John, and he, he went on and met many of John's followers, many of John the Baptist's disciples. And some of those would become very key followers of Jesus in the future. But he began to build relationships. Eventually, he went back up into Galilee, went back to his hometown of Nazareth. Then he went over to Capernaum, spent some time there with uh, several of John's disciples, a man named Simon, who's also called Peter, a man named Andrew, they were brothers, and then two other brothers named James and John. And they hung out there for a little while, 
And then they went down during the Passover to Judea, into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It was a holiday. All Jewish men would go there and, and celebrate once a year. And then at some point around that time, John the Baptist gets arrested. And so it's like his movement stopped. I mean, what do we do? Our leader got arrested. And so they kind of scattered and people went back home. Well, Jesus picked up where John left off. He sort of picked up the mantle of John and he went into Galilee to preach basically the same message that John was preaching. And he was kind of the heir apparent. He was the next guy. And even John the Baptist said, that's the guy you got to follow. He's better than me. And so Jesus went there and guess what he did? He went right to Capernaum and he went right to Simon and Andrew and James and John and he called them to be his followers, his students. In those days, a teacher would gather around themselves a school of people to train them. He would teach them his message and his method and he would, he would instruct them and then they would go out and pass that message and method on. And that was kind of the way school was back then and it actually evolved into what we know as school today, that sort of teacher-student system. So he called these four guys to be his students, to kind of to give up their careers and, and their professions. Not that they never fished again, they were fishermen, but for the most part, their primary focus was to be a student of Jesus. And thus begins the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus is there in Capernaum. He's just called Simon, Andrew, James, and John to be his followers. And Simon, being a successful man, a successful fisherman, had a large house in Capernaum and invites Jesus to stay with him. And that house became Jesus' home base for the next two years. Some amazing, incredible things happened in that house. And in the synagogue in Capernaum, they went there to worship on the Sabbath. Jesus was invited to speak, and he stunned everybody. His preaching was incredible. It was unlike anything they ever heard. He preached as if he had wrote it when he read from the Scriptures. And that was new to them. They were like, whoa, this guy's incredible. And then, to back up his authority, he healed a man who was possessed by a demon. And that made everybody afraid of him. But later that night, they go to Peter's house and the whole town comes out to get help from Jesus. They want to be healed. And he spends all night healing people and helping people. The next morning, he takes the guys, they leave Capernaum and they travel all around Galilee, spreading his message and healing. I want to pause for a second because there's something really important that we got to remember in that little retelling there. That the message is of vital importance. We live in a day and age where our society is very experiential. They say that this generation that we live in now is the most activist generation that has ever lived. We got to go do something. We got to have a cause. We got to go save somebody or something, or we got to go protest, or we got to stand arm in arm, right? We got to experience something. That's how we orient. That's what speaks to us. And that's very important. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I want you to hear something. When it comes to Jesus, it's more than just experience there's also a message. There's also information. And the Bible speaks again and again and again. And Jesus himself, himself spoke again and again and again about knowledge, the knowledge of salvation, the knowledge of God. There is an information element to our faith that actually Jesus prioritized. It was more important him to him to preach than it was to heal. The healing was really a way to get an audience. It was really a way to get people to come and want to listen to him and give him some credibility. But he had a message. 
And you and I, we've got to understand this because we want to experience things. But we got to know that knowledge, that information that we get in scriptures is vitally important. One of the greatest uh, Christians that ever lived, maybe even second only to Jesus Christ himself, was a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he talked about the helmet of salvation. It was the knowledge that we have of God and of, the, and of Jesus Christ that holds us in, in, in a saving grace. We have to know Him. How do we do that in our day and age? Well, we do it by reading the Bible. You may not like to read. Sorry, you're going to have to. Listen to it. You can do that nowadays, but you're going to have to because information is what Jesus was most concerned with. He wanted you to know God. He wanted you to know the way of God. He wants you to know His message. He wants you to know salvation. I'm not discounting the need to express that physically, the experience, but it begins with the knowing. So Jesus is in Capernaum. And he has just come back from traveling all over the place and, and spreading his message. And when, and, and when he returns, a large crowd shows up at, Peter, at Simon's house again. Simon's also called Peter. And, uh, and, and there's so many people there that they cut a hole in the roof. This is what we talked about in the last sermon. And some men cut a hole in the roof and lower a paralyzed guy down in because they couldn't get in the house any other way. And right there, Jesus heals this man. But before he does, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you remember from the message, the audience... There was a lot of what we call Pharisees and teachers of the law. We'll talk about them in a second. But a lot of them were in the audience. And when he said, your sins are forgiven, they were offended. Only God can do that. That bothered them. That rattled their cage. Jesus will rattle your cage. He rattled their cage, and they were uncomfortable with it. But to prove his point... This paralyzed man, it was not fake paralyzed. I mean, there were no muscles. The body was atrophied. Whatever the case was, it was obvious. He, it was not a charlatan ruse. He healed the guy. Whatever, whatever muscles were injured or broken, whatever bones were destroyed or whatever material that wasn't there miraculously appeared and the man stood up and walked out in full sight of everyone and people were like, uh, what's that commercial for Jet? You know, their heads... That one where the purple smoke comes out of their head? That's what would happen. And the people were like, what? What just happened? So as a result, Jesus was quite well known. He had quite a bit of attention. There were a lot of people that wanted to get close to him and know what he was about. And so we pick it up here. He's still in Capernaum. I don't know when this happens. Mark kind of leaves us off the timeline and he just kind of gets into this theme of Jesus and religious people, teachers of the law, Pharisees. And so Mark now is going to give us little vignettes. There's, there's, there's five of them. This is the second one. These little vignettes of what it was like when Jesus interacted with other religious people, Pharisees and teachers of the law. And so Mark tells us that he leaves the house. He goes out to walk along the lake and a large crowd came to him, which was common. He was the, 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 the latest, greatest guy. They wanted to know what he was all about. And as he walked along, he was teaching people, which was very customary. And somewhere along the way, he ran into a guy named Levi, son of Alphaeus. What a name. Levi, son of Alphaeus. Now, by the way, that name Alphaeus comes up in the Bible a couple of times. For those of you that like to, to, to know this stuff, 
This Alphaeus is the only mention of him. The other time you say the name of Alphaeus, it's a different Alphaeus. Apparently that was a really popular name. I don't know why. It's complicated, hard to say, but it seems like it was a popular name. So this is Levi, the son of Alphaeus, and he happened to be a tax collector. Levi, also called Matthew in the Bible, worked as a tax collector. Now, how many people here, when you hear tax collector, go, oh, they're awesome. (laughs) Well, it was the same then, maybe worse, because the Romans had a way of collecting taxes from people that they stole from the Greeks. And the way it worked was like this, and, and get this, you'll love this. You think our system's bad. They would uh, ask a native, a local. They wanted you know, people that were indigenous or people that were in the community. They would ask them to be a tax collector, and they would offer them the opportunity to be a tax collector. And there was money involved in this opportunity. But wait, the way it worked was you had to bid against other people who were interested in being a tax collector on who would collect the highest tax. And then the Romans would decide, okay, we think you're going to do it, and okay, you're, you're going to do this, and they would appoint that guy a tax collector and give him lots of authority and power. And then he had to pay that tax in full in advance. So when he collected taxes, he was actually reimbursing himself, and there was no regulation, there was no oversight, there was no clear right and wrong on how that person went about it. So this whole system was very corrupt. It was very open to thievery and abuse and things like that. And tax collectors were famous as thieves. That's how they were looked at. And in the Jewish community, it was even worse because the Jews hated the fact that they were under Roman authority. And so they saw you as a tax collector, as a traitor, a collaborator with the enemy because you were collecting money from your people to give to Rome at the highest bid and with no uh, oversight or regulation. And so you could, you, you know, you wanted to make an extra 10, 15, 20, 30%, you could. And you could really damage and destroy people's livelihoods. And many of them did. And they were hated by the Jews because they were traitors. They were Jews who had turned on their own people. Not only were they hated, but their families were hated. And they were considered outcasts. They were, they were considered unclean. At best, they were sinners. At worst, they were traitors and collaborators with the enemy and thieves. So Jesus, walking along the lake, sees Matthew, Levi, and he says, follow me. The same thing he said to James and John and Simon and Andrew. He actually invited Levi to his team to be a part of his inner circle, to be one of his students. To use our language, he put him on staff. (laughs) You guys think when you look at your ministers and the ministry staff, you know, I don't know about that guy. This was way, I'm better than Matthew. I can tell you that right now. I got better credibility than Matthew. Jesus put him on staff. Come and follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him, leaves his booth, and jumps at the chance. I got to tell you, calling a tax collector to be a student, I couldn't think of a more, one of the more controversial things Jesus could have done. I mean, we're talking straight out offensive. Because people loved Jesus at this point. 
They loved him because they loved John the Baptist and they saw Jesus as kind of the next John the Baptist and he was even greater and even more awesome than John the Baptist. And so they had all their ideas of what he should be like and what they idolized in their minds. And as he's walking along, he sees this guy, this scoundrel, this rat, this traitor, this thief, and he says, hey, be one of my students. Come on board. As you can imagine, this sent a ripple through the following of Jesus in people's minds. What is he doing? There's a point here that I want to make. And I just want you to let it, I just want it to sit with you because there's something on a very deep emotional level that if you sit with, with it for a minute, I'm going to say it and we're going to pause. I think it might move your heart. Are you ready? Jesus didn't hold his past against him. Let that sink in. I have a past. You have a past. Thank God that Jesus didn't hold it against us. He could have. It's probably pretty easy to do with almost every one of us, just like it would have been easy to do with Matthew or Levi, but he didn't. He didn't hold it against him. I'm not saying Jesus agreed with him. I'm not saying Jesus condoned everything Levi had done up to that point. He probably didn't, truth be told. But he didn't hold it against him. It it didn't have to affect who he was and what he would become going forward. Now, don't we all love a clean slate? Wouldn't every one of us give our last dollar for the opportunity for a redo on so many things in our lives? We could just go back, roll back the thigh, and go, okay, please give me a redo on that one, God, please. Jesus offers that opportunity. It's very compelling to me. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So at some point after Jesus calls uh, Levi or Matthew, he gets invited to Matthew's house, to Levi's house. And there's a dinner there. And guess who shows up? All of Levi's friends. There was an old movie in the old days, Look Who's Coming to Dinner, you know, and it kind of played on this same theme. It's kind of that idea, you know, you get in the room and you're like, well, where'd these people come from? I mean, who are these people? Matthew's friends would have been other sinners and other tax collectors because they were ostracized by the Jews. They were hated. They were unliked. And so who were the people? They were the people nobody else wanted to have dinner with. Imagine yourself having dinner with five people who you would never invite to dinner. Maybe relatives, maybe friends, co-workers, right? Just don't, I don't want to be in that room with those people. That's the people Jesus had dinner with. And I love this line. It says, for there were many who followed him. Now, interesting because that's so ambiguous. That could mean that there were many who followed him, literally just lots of people that followed him. But it also could mean that there were many sinners and tax collectors that followed him. 
And I think probably both are true. Jesus had a lot of friends, as Garth Brooks would say it, in low places. You remember the song? I got friends in low places. Jesus had a lot of friends like that. Now, that sometimes bothers me. And I think if you really ask yourselves, if you really think about it for a minute, I bet as much as we like that Jesus wants to be a friend to tax collectors and sinners, as much as that speaks to us, as much as we feel, yeah, you know, he's not holding our past against us, I bet if we really look in our hearts, every one of us, myself included, that there's probably a little tinge in there somewhere that annoys you. Because why do these people, for all their sin and, and junk that they're in, why do they get special treatment? What about all the good people? I pay my taxes, I don't steal, I don't rob, I'm not a traitor, I'm not collaborating with the enemy, whatever any number of sins, right? I, I could hold my righteousness up and I could say, what about me? Why are you over there with those guys? What about me? There's, there's a, even can get to this point of why am I even doing this then? Why don't I just be one of them? It'd be a lot easier. And then Jesus would come and have dinner with me. So there's a part of me that appreciates that Jesus cared about a tax collector and a sinner, that he didn't hold it against them. But there's also a part of me, truth be told, that gets bothered. Because I, I kind of feel like, hey, I, I'm trying here. Those guys aren't. Why do, you get, why do you go to dinner with them? Have you ever felt a little bit like that at some point? Underappreciated, undervalued, uh, you know, you're doing all the heavy lifting and everybody else is getting all the benefit? It's a little frustrating, truth be told. But then I think about it like this. I realize something. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, who he said he was. And if that's true, if he is the Son of God, then guess what? He sees everything anyways. So really, from his perspective, it doesn't really matter if he's eating with a tax collector and sinner. It's not like he's come out in some way. It's not like there's some revelation here going on. He already knew that they were sinners and tax collectors to begin with. So it's not like in his mind, their status with him changed. He already saw what they did in secret. He already saw what was in their heart. And by the way, don't ever think that Jesus doesn't know what's in your heart. And don't ever think that when you do something you know to be wrong, it isn't being seen and recorded. And not by Google. They're getting most of it but God gets all of it. So don't think for a minute that Jesus looks at you and sees necessarily any significant difference between you and someone else whose sin might be very overt out in the open. Because at the end of the day, Jesus sees all of us as sinners. You know, there's that old joke, you guys know this joke, where two guys are in the woods and the, and the one guy says to the other, uh, you know, what do we do if a bear comes? And, and the other guy says, well, I don't know about you, but all I got to do is be faster than you. <laughs> and, and the Pharisees were a little bit like that. They, it, like to them, if they were just a little more righteous than everybody else, then somehow they justified themselves as righteous people. But the truth be told, they were sinners too. There was nothing different in them that was different in the sinners, maybe, maybe, maybe the number of times, I don't know, the magnitude, whatever, but, but both groups had sinners. And I want to talk for a minute now 
about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. The teachers of the law were the people who, when you went to synagogue, they taught you the scriptures. They were experts, and they were great guys. And they studied the Bible, and they were very studious. And many of them were really great teachers. The Pharisees were a sect of Jews who, who were like... Um, you want to look, consider them as people who were extra pious. They were extra righteous. They, they really were super committed people to the Jewish uh, faith and way. They, they believed in what was called the tradition of the elders and in the scriptures. And so they, they adhered to the scriptures, but they also adhered to these traditions that were passed down through generations. And so as a result, they were very pious. They were very righteous, at least outwardly, people. And this group of people that Jesus is specifically dealing with were teachers of the law who were Pharisees. So not only were they great Bible scholars, but they also had this uh, uh, commitment that they had made to be this extraordinary, super righteous, great people. And I'm not shaming them. Th that was their heart. That was what they wanted to be. They, they were the, the special forces of Israel at the time in, in, this, in the religious faith. Highly respected and very influential. The Pharisees were very influential during the life of Jesus before and after in Palestine at the time because they were very pious, very good, very godly men. But they made a major mistake. And their mistake was is that they were constantly comparing themselves to other people. And so they had that mentality. If I can run faster than you, I'm okay. But that's not how God sees it. That's a misunderstanding of God. When God sees the world, He sees it all, good and bad. And at some point, none of those Pharisees were going to be able to claim that they were completely righteous and justified before God. In other words, they had sin too. I like the, the analogy of if two people go swimming to Catalina and one drowns right off the coast of California and the other one drowns right off the coast of Catalina, who won? doesn't matter. Sure, I appreciate the guy made that swim, but he still died. And so at some point, we're all on level playing field. We are all sinners in God's eyes. And this was the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus. They thought themselves as better than the sinners and the tax collectors. And so they got an attitude with Jesus. And instead of talking to him sometime later, they approached his disciples and they said very critically, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, if he really is God, if he really is this awesome guy, this incredible prophet, if he really is who he claims to be, he would know who these people are and he would not rub elbows with them. And so they had a bad attitude about this dinner that Jesus had. But the bottom line is, it came from the fact that they thought they were better than these people. So let me ask you a question. Are you a sinner? Okay, so who here is the, the best of the sinners? Right? Okay, maybe, maybe Taylor, because she just got baptized. She hasn't sinned as much as all of us, but, but you know... Give her time, she'll catch up. <laughs> but who's the best sinner in the room? And I don't mean like best meaning like good at sin. I mean like thinks they're better than the other sinners in the room. I'm sure if we went the other way, there'd be a good competition for a lot of us. We'd be really good sinners. But 
But you get the point of that statement? We're all sinners. So guess what? We all need saving. And it's absurd to think that I somehow need less saving than someone else. It's absurd. And it was absurd to Jesus. And it's why Jesus would walk up to Matthew and say, hey, come on board. I'm not going to hold your past against you. Come on. It was so natural for him. It was so matter of fact. It was so obvious for him to do that because everybody else is sinners. There's nobody better than anyone else in this room. There was nobody better than anyone else by the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, some people may have sinned more than others, but at the end of the day, everybody was sinners. Jesus called uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John. Maybe they were great guys. Then he called Matthew. They're all the same. At some fundamental level, we are all sinners. Therefore, we all need saving. And if you're new to church, this may sound really weird. Like, what are you talking about? Listen, don't run away. Let me talk to you about it afterwards. Let's get into a Bible study. We'll, we'll, we'll study it out. It, we, we can help you understand it. It's, it's not anything to be afraid of or intimidated by or scared of or uncomfortable with. It's just true. And truth be told, in your heart, I think you know that you have sin in your life. You have thing, areas of your life that you've fallen short in, and you would like to be able to let them go and to not have them hold you back and move on from them. And Jesus wants to offer you that opportunity. But you first have to know that you're a sinner. Otherwise, you're going to be like these teachers of the law who were Pharisees completely out of touch, thinking that somehow they were going to make it on their own and that they didn't need saving. Next verse. Verse uh, 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So somehow, I don't know how this happened. I don't know if, if Jesus was in the area or him being God, he could hear what they were thinking. I don't know. But he overheard them, and he replied, not the disciples. I love that. You see the disciples there. Maybe they're at the door. The Pharisees like, what are you guys doing? Why is he doing this? Jesus in the background. It's not the, you know, not the healthy that need a doctor. You know, a real great rebuke. This is one of the reasons why people loved Jesus, because he told it like it was, and he confronted people when they were wrong. And everyday people love that. They loved it. Because the Pharisees kind of ignored them too. Because they walked around better than everybody. And so there was a feeling of, come on guys, bring it down a notch. And so Jesus brought it down a notch. In front of everyone. I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to go on record saying this. And I'm not a Bible scholar, so you know it's not worth anything. But... Uh, I believe this might be the first example of a mission statement. I know in our world we love mission statements, right? Everybody's got a mission statement, corporate. Well, here it is. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' mission statement. But simultaneously in making that statement, he was, he was not only revealing his heart, but he was revealing their heart. He was making it clear where they stood compared to where he stood. They were in error he was not. The reality is, he wants to save sinners. They wanted to save themselves from sinners. That was the spirit of the Pharisees. 
Some of them, not all of them, but the Pharisees. That's what they wanted to do. Now, I've got to drive this point home. Jesus had a lot to say about people who thought like this. So I want to share one common, one, one example of what he felt. This is in Matthew chapter 23. This is Jesus. And, and it's a chapter where he gives seven woes against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Woes means curses, basically. Listen to what he says about these people. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Those are strong words. Those are cutting words. Those are very direct words. And if you read the whole of Matthew chapter 23, he gets even more intense and more, uh, uh, is it acerbic? He gets stronger with his words. Really trying to call these people out of their hypocrisy, their ridiculous belief that somehow they were better than everyone else. Now, he's not telling them not to be pious. He said you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, he does want us to live righteous lives. Don't walk away thinking, oh, my pastor said it doesn't matter. I can sin all I want. That would be a major gross under misunderstanding of what, of what I'm trying to teach and what Jesus is teaching here. We're not calling you. He was not calling people to stay in their sin, to stay in the error of their way. But what he was saying was we're all in error. Everyone is in error. Everyone's a sinner. And so when you guys try to think this side of the room is better than that side of the room, you're way off base. And so this is a strong voice against that kind of thinking. So here's the, the point. People are more important than piety. Piety means your religious life, your religious behavior. People are more important than piety. It's not a contradiction. Piety is important. But Jesus said you neglected the more important matters. Piety matters, but not more than people. And these Pharisees had completely alienated themselves from the people. To the point that they were upset that someone even reached out to those people. That someone even tried to care for those people. And may that never be said about you or I. May we never be the kind of people who stop caring about other people that may be worse than us. I have a story. I was, uh, years and years ago, I got invited. A friend of mine was in the industry. And uh, he invited me to this dinner at a new restaurant that was opened by someone else in the industry, right? Some singer, I think it was. And it was a big deal. They, they had this big opening night, and it was supposed to be awesome. This restaurant was supposed to be incredible, and all these you know, popular people were out that were in the industry. And uh, so I went with some friends, and this, this friend of mine, and we got there, and it was all posh and cool, and you know, you see other people who are, you kind of recognize who they are, they're important people or whatever. And there we are, and we have our dinner, and, and I don't remember how good the food was, if it was good or not. I honestly don't remember. I don't think the restaurant's any, there anymore. But uh, all I remember was the service was horrible. 
Uh, and, and that happens. It was a, new, it was a you know, kind of a first night opening. But I was there with a group of six or seven people, and I never got my dinner. So you know, they just missed my order or whatever. So eventually, everybody ate, and then everybody was on dessert, and my dinner came. So I ate my dinner, and it was okay, I, I think. I don't remember much about it, but I had my dinner. But I only ate part of it because by that time, we were done. And so I had the guy box it up. And we left, and we went outside, and we were in downtown LA, and, uh, and there were lots of homeless people around, you know, in that part of the area, and everybody was, the, the crowd from the restaurant was standing out there waiting for the valet to get their car. And as I'm standing there, there was a homeless man, and he was kind of milling through the crowd, and he was looking for a handout. And so me, being Joe Christian, my name is Joe, my last name's not Christian, that's, that's a made-up name, but <laughs> me being Joe Christian thought, you know what, I'm going to be Mr. Christian here, and I'm going to really show my Christianity, and I'm going to offer this guy some money. So I, he came to me, and I pulled out, and I gave him a couple bucks. And I don't know what was going on in everybody else's mind, but I got the feeling that they were like, oh, did you really do that? Because now we all got to do it. And so the guy literally went for every person, and then you could see people like, it, it, I, that's how I saw it. They were like, oh, you know, they were giving him money. And I sat there feeling really good about my piety. I was like so proud of myself. Well, the homeless guy made his way through everybody and came back to me and stood in front of me, staring at me. And I was staring at him, and I'm thinking, I did my thing. What are you back here for? I start, you should thank me. <laughs> but he had this look on his face, and then he pointed at me, and I was like, what? what? And I realized he wanted my food. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't get to eat my food. Like, rats, why do you want my... I gave you a buck, and I got everybody else to give you a buck, and now you want my food, and my piety ended right there. <laughs> now I was annoyed with this guy. Come on, I did my thing. I'm awesome. But the guy was hungry. So I gave him my food, not with a great, pious spirit, let me tell you. But I gave my food, and I'm still complaining about it to this day. you put too much emphasis on how pious you are, how good you are, you're going to miss people. You're going to miss them. Because you're going to be so focused on how good you are that you're going you're gonna to just, opportunities are just going to go and you're going to miss them and you're going to be just like the Pharisees, missing what matters, what, what's important. So I opened up the sermon with that little joke about the landlord. And, uh, you know, you find out that the guy that had all this good intention was really the landlord. He wanted his rent paid, right? I relate to that guy. There's a part of me that I have that in me. I have that ability to think I'm better than other people. And Jesus blows that out of the water. He just smashes that. It's not about how good I am. It's about being a good person to other people. It's about caring for other people. Mm -hmm. It's about caring about them more than I do myself and my little religious world that I want to live in. May it never be said that I cared more about my piety than I do people. May it never be said that you care more about your piety than people. May it never be said that See Me Church doesn't care about people because Jesus cared about people. Amen. At this time, we're going to stand, and we're going to close out with a song.
And let's be the kind of people that eat with sinners. Thank you.